Well, good. Take your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I want to tell you an ancient story from uh, Jewish wisdom about a man by the name of uh, Bar Kapara. And Bar Kapara was one time walking along the seashore of Caesarea when he noticed a shipwreck off in the distance. And he stood and he looked and he noticed that a man was swimming from the wreck toward the shore close to where he was. And the man seemed to be making good headway and obviously was a good swimmer, but as he finally reached land, he collapsed with weariness. And Barkapar went forward and gave the man a helping hand, and the man staggered ashore and begged him to assist him. Barkapar took him home and clothed him and fed him and offered him some money so that the man, when he was able, finally was able to go away refreshed and encouraged. Some years later, the Jews of Caesarea found themselves in a predicament with local authorities, and they decided to send a petition to the governor. And they chose Bar Kapara to go and speak on their behalf. But before he left, Bar Kapara prayed to God that God would guide him and help him succeed in this most important mission of bringing relief to his Jewish brethren. And finally, when Bar Kapara reached the governor's palace he asked for permission to see the governor having come on a very urgent matter and he was ultimately granted that favor and he was ushered into the presence of the governor and to great astonishment Barkapar recognized the governor as the same man whom he had once saved and helped on the shores of Caesarea what can I do for you my friend the governor greeted him warmly because the governor recognized Barkapara as his one-time friend in need and Barkapara earnestly begged the governor to use his authority in helping the Jews on whose behalf he had now come to plead. The governor listened very carefully and patiently to the story that Barkapara unfolded before him. And then the governor said these words, I will gladly do this favor for you, my friend, because when I was in such a desperate position... You help me to the maximum of your ability without asking for or expecting any reward. Because of your unselfishness and kindness to me, I shall now help your suffering brethren at your request. Barkapara had brought a huge sum of money as a gift to the governor from his fellow Jews. The governor, however, gave the money back to Barkapara, saying, Take this money back as a gift from me now. For although the sum of money you gave me years ago was not as great as this, to me it meant everything at the time of my need. You may return to your brethren and tell them that I am helping them out of gratitude to you and take my blessing with you. Barkapara hurriedly went back with the good news to his fellow Jews who were anxiously awaiting his return and news of what happened. And the rejoicing among them was, as you might imagine, very great and they all acknowledged how true was the saying of king solomon cast thy bread upon the waters and you shall find it after many days you know our lives are meant to be lived with generosity we see this lesson in ecclesiastes chapter one in that very verse that we just heard about in the story verse one of that chapter says Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. 
Now, this is an odd saying to us these days. I mean, who throws bread on water? Uh, years ago, when the kids were much younger, we visited my parents who live about a, a quarter mile from a city park. It used to be a boys' ranch, Bedford Boys' Ranch. And in the boys' ranch, there's a, a large pond area with a jogging track around it. And that entire neighborhood is filled with ducks. In fact, there are signs everywhere as the ducks make their way to and from the, the large pond, about the size of uh, Lake Lobo over there by the old high school uh, football stadium. Um, ducks are everywhere, and there are signs in the neighborhood asking people to slow down, don't run over the ducks. There's a, there's a criminal penalty if you kill a duck by, with your car. All of this, and so there's a lot to protect the ducks. So we take our dogs with us, me and the boys, and we make our way over to the pond, and we're just going to go walk around the park and let the dogs have a little bit more freedom than having to be cooped up in the backyard. And there's ducks there, ducks everywhere. And our dogs went crazy. They loved the ducks. They wanted to chase the ducks. The ducks were faster than the boys, and so here the leashes were. They were tight, and the ducks are chasing the the dogs are chasing the ducks into the water. And I'm sure the dogs just wanted to play with the ducks and lick the ducks and kiss the ducks. You know, didn't want to do any harm to the ducks. And so the boys were just having a ball, running all over the lake, all over the all over the park around the lake, uh, chasing ducks until this one lady came up, and she was quite angry. And she was English. She had a British accent. And she came up to me and chewed me out for being such a bad example and allowing my boys to use their dogs to terrorize these precious ducklings all over the place. And I apologized. And, I, and, I, and we walked back to my parents' house and, and sort of laughed about it. And, you know, if I was thinking at the time, I, I would have said, you know... You're right, these, these, these dogs, in fact, should be in their natural habitat and shouldn't be bound by the leashes. We should have just turned them loose, see what happened at that point. Um, but, I, but I decided not to be a smart aleck or anything like that because I honestly didn't think of it quickly enough. Um, but we, we, had, we had a blast with, with these ducks, and we eventually, we eventually got some bread, which is what you normally do when you have ducks at a pond. Went back to the park. And you threw the bread out at the ducks, and you know, you're the duck's best friend at that point. Every once in a while, the, the bread would land on the water. And it doesn't take long, once you cast that bread on the water, for that bread to deteriorate. And so I've known this ever since I was a kid, and I've always had a question about what this verse means. Cast your bread on the water, for someday it will come back to you. And I'm thinking, no, it won't. It will deteriorate, and the ducks will eat it. Um, but when Solomon says to throw your bread on the water, he's not talking about the kind of bread that you're going to buy at Walmart. Some commentators think that he's referring to some type of overseas commerce. I mean, Solomon did, in fact, have a, a whole fleet of ships, and we're told that they would come back about every three years with gold and silver and monkeys and apes and all kinds of things from all these foreign lands and so uh, maybe he's talking about engaging in foreign commerce that it's good to do that but I think more likely it's simply a figure of speech because there's an ancient Arabic proverb 
from close to that area that parallels this one. It says, do good, cast your bread into the water, it shall one day repay you. Here's the idea of this verse. You need to give willingly and cheerfully without expecting anything immediate in return. In your heart, you'll know that you're pleasing God with your actions of faith and you will reap a harvest one day. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. In fact, this is what, in that story I told, Bar Kapara did for the man he met, not knowing that it was the governor whose life he helped save. And if this is indeed the meaning of this verse, to be generous, to be cheerful, to be willing to give, at all times, expecting nothing in return. Well, there's three very important and very brief characteristics that this verse indicates that you need. Number one, you need total commitment. When it says to cast your bread on the water, that's, that's total commitment. Once you decide to be generous with whatever resources you have, you need to be all in. I mean, you can't be a little bit generous. You can't be partially generous. You're either generous or you're not. You can't be partially generous any more than a fisherman can partially cast a lure into a lake. No, it's either you cast it into the lake or you keep it on the shore. It's one of the two. It's either in the water or it's not. And so when you decide to cast your bread on the water, you're deciding to be a generous person throughout. It takes total commitment. Secondly, we have this phrase in that verse that says, for you will find it. That requires forward thinking. In other words, you have to trust God to keep his promise for your future, that God will repay you at the proper time and so if you're generous today you can't have an expectation that you're going to be repaid today that's not how sowing works you reap what you sow but you always reap it later and so it requires forward thinking on our parts if we're going to cast our bread on the water and second and thirdly it says after many days you'll find it after many Days. Not only will it happen in the future, it may not happen for a long time. It's going to require patience on your part. Most rewards are not instantaneous. Sometimes I'll be in a uh, convenience store and the person in front of me will uh, be purchasing a lottery ticket and they have an instant reward or mo more likely an, an instant loss of their money. Um, but sometimes you have to wait, I'm told until later to see if that uh, lottery ticket pays off. We're not talking about the lottery here. We're talking about being generous. We're talking about being kind. We're talking about helping people cheerfully and willingly. And those rewards, you gotta be patient for. It may not happen right of way. And so you might have to change your attitude if you tend to pray, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. I think it's very much, this verse is very much like when Jesus told his disciples to launch out into the deep and let, your, let down your nets for a catch. You know, they had to go back out into the water. They were in the shallow water when Jesus said that. 
and they were tired and they were unsuccessful and Jesus said get back out there and do it again go into the deep part of the lake and do it again let down your nets for a catch they had a choice to make at that point if they chose to do it they were going to have to be all in total commitment they would have to be looking forward and they would have to be patient because it wasn't going to happen right away but they decided to trust the Lord and to obey him verse 2 of this chapter another sort of confusing verse it says divide your portion to seven or even to eight for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth this is talking about how generous you need to be how generous should you be if you decide to be a generous person well you need to be all the way generous you need to spread the the seed of generosity as wide as possible spread it out to as many people as possible do you remember the parable of the unjust manager he was about to be fired you remember that he was about to be fired and what was he going to do well he came up with a plan he decided to make a generous arrangement with his master's debtors knowing that someday his kindness to them might be repaid and so he decided to do this not just with one but with more than one of his master's debtors so how generous do you need to be you need to be generous with everyone at all times be ready to help when should you be generous right now now's the time to be generous because you don't know when the bad times will come it's a really bad idea to wait until the bad times arrive to decide to be kind to people it's a really bad idea to wait until the the crisis occurs to decide to be generous to someone on a more practical level you know you and i have seen this unfortunately with many people uh, they decide that when a loved one dies well they they should have been in church because that's when they really need the support and the love of a church family it's a bad idea to wait until the time of the crisis to decide to be a part of loving community to be generous with other people in verses three through six we learn this for this uh this lesson if the clouds are full verse three says they pour out rain upon the earth and whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north wherever the tree falls there it lies he who watches the wind will not sow and he who looks at the clouds will not reap just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good the lesson is now's the time now's the time so instead of just watching to see the way the winds of your life blow before you decide to be generous or not now's the time to be generous to all people to make friends with what jesus said is your unrighteous mammon your unrighteous wealth with people so that they may welcome you in the age to come jesus said in luke 6 38 give and it will be given to you they will pour into your lap a good measure pressed down shaken together and running over for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return 
And so make sure that you today decide to become a generous person. If you already consider yourself, honestly and humbly, you would evaluate your life and you'd say, I am a generous person. See if you might be able to raise the level even more. Be generous. Our lives are also meant to be enjoyed. They're meant to be enjoyed. Verses 7 through 9 begin to teach this lesson. It says, The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Verse 9 says, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Solomon advises uh, children, advises young men and young women to enjoy life. Enjoy life. Life is too short not to enjoy it. You know, absolutely some of the most favorite times of my life have been uh, with my kids it seems like it wasn't that long ago that I remember being at Baylor Hospital on October uh, 9th actually the day before he was born uh, with Amy and labor pains making our way to the hospital late at night I called my mom to ask her to come over and watch Timothy because we thought Jonathan was going to be born and uh, you know we stayed up all night and uh, Amy had the uh, literally laborious job and I was sitting there trying to do what I was coached to do, breathe, breathe, you know, just acting like an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm just sort of there for moral support, uh, and I don't know how supportive I really was, but I was there. And so it's all night, and nothing's happening. The labor pains or, uh, I guess, or the contractions, I should say, were, were inconsistent. And all throughout that pregnancy, Amy had a, a condition called hyperperiodic, uh, hyper hypokalemic periodic paralysis right the the tying of the tongue is the disease that I have okay so hypokalemic periodic paralysis that's it and what it means is low potassium she had uh, dangerously low potassium and so she was very weak and and we we weren't really sure at first what was going on but she would be walking and her her legs would just sort of want to collapse and she would fall to the ground or fall to one knee and so something was obviously wrong and through a lot of different tests for all different kinds of potential diseases we finally the doctors finally figured out what it was and that night that we were there early in the morning on the 10th of October 1997 uh, before they let Amy go home without any child uh, present with us to take home they gave her a very strong um, drink that had a lot of potassium in it and it looked looked really nasty and I'm sure it was and she drank it they sent us home about 30 minutes later the contractions came back with a vengeance and um, you know people say that maybe salsa or walking or something else can help uh, bring about uh, a child when a woman is late in her uh, pregnancy but I think it's this drink because we had to go back to the hospital and a few hours later Jonathan was born you know I, I remember those things very vividly much more than I remember uh, the name of Amy's disease but uh, or her condition but 
it wasn't that long ago in my mind and I think that's a sign that you're getting older and you remember all these things you know and now of course just moved him into Oklahoma State University a freshman there good student great singer and he loves the Lord and he loves being around God's people one of the first things that he uh, did as he prepared to go to Oklahoma State was he contacted churches in the area and uh, there was one church that emailed him back and said we'd like to uh, uh, we'd love to see you at least it was the first church and so that's where he's going first to that church in Stillwater and it just uh, leaves me with uh, a great great feeling in my heart that he's going to be okay some of my favorite absolute favorite times have been with my kids and here's the deal you can't keep the good times in your life from running out the door they're going to be gone someday nothing you can do about it because time keeps ticking along whether you're having a good day or a bad day but those bad times in your life the sorrows and the crisis they run out the door too and you can't keep those things from escaping or leaving your life but one thing you can do is you can enjoy life enjoy those times together and you can look back on even those bad times and say you know we made it through and we're going to be okay Solomon here is saying you've got days of light days of darkness good days bad days they're all going to fill up your life so enjoy life enjoy it however many days you have enjoy life and to get the most out of the positive sometimes you've got to remove the negatives from your life verse 10 Solomon advises us so remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting young man remove those things that cause pain Solomon says because the prime of life is fleeting you know if you live by the flesh of your life it's going to result in a bunch of junk that you just don't need a lot of unnecessary pain and anger and grief and heartache Solomon wisely says get rid of that stuff it's not worth your time time is too precious to invest all of your time in things that produce a lot of negativity he says throw all of that mess aside time is too precious life is too short for all that and above all else above all else you need to remember the Lord before the days of old and of old age and death set in remember the Lord verse 12 or chapter 12 verse 1 Solomon says remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say I have no delight in them Solomon says you're going to get older you're going to get older I mean there's only one alternative to getting older and so you're going to get older and so if you're if you know you're going to get older 
Remember the Lord. Remember your Creator when you're a young man. And in verses 2 through 7, we have a very vivid description of old age. This is the most vivid description of old age that you'll ever find in the pages of the Bible. And it's all done in a very metaphorical way. And if you're one of these that would say, I'm sort of past the age of getting older, I think I am older. You may not like this description here, but I think you will have a hard time disagreeing with it. Verse 2, Solomon says, you've got to remember the Lord before the days come to where you say, I have no more delight in my life. He says, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars have darkened and clouds return after the rain, Solomon's talking about your eyes begin to fail. In verse 3, he says, in that day when the watchmen of the house tremble, the watchmen of the house, those are your hands. Your hands start to tremble in old age. The mighty men stoop. Your legs and your back muscles start to give out and you start to stoop over. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. He's talking about your teeth. You start to lose your teeth. They stand idle because you've lost some. And those who look through windows grow dim. He's talking again about the eyes. Growing dim, it's harder to see. Verse 4. He says, the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. He's talking about your hearing is going. People, when they have their, their hearing start to go, they, someone's talking to them, it's hard to focus. And so they'll turn down the TV, or in that day, they'll shut the door to get out all of the excess noise. What did you say again? And so the ears, your hearing starts to go. When that starts to happen, and then verse 4 continues, And one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. And here's one of the, the tricks that happen to play on us when we get older. Even though we don't hear so good, well, we don't sleep so good either. And so it doesn't take much to wake us up. Even when there's no noise, you've got the birds chirping outside, and they wake you up. Verse 5, he says, Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Strong men, formerly able-bodied men, become fearful of heights and danger because your body is more feeble, more prone, more prone to break bones or get attacked by someone that, you, that they could easily overpower you. And so you're less manly as you were before, less aggressive as you were in the past. The almond tree blossoms, talking about your hair, turns white. The grasshopper drags himself along. Literally, it could be understood the grasshopper becomes heavy. I mean, you're not as strong as you used to be, and Solomon, I think, jokingly says it's even hard to pick a grasshopper up because you just aren't as strong as you used to be. The caperberry is ineffective. You lose your appetite. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. 
Well, it's obviously talking about you go to your grave. That's your eternal home, Solomon says. Verse 6, Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. There's the picture of someone who has, has not oil, but water. They have a cistern and they're getting water. And it's the water of life that they're getting. Well, now things have deteriorated such that the cistern is broken. The water of life has run out. In other words, death has come. And verse 7 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. When death comes, your spirit goes to God. And so you might be thinking, well, thanks, Pastor, for the beautiful description of what I've got to look forward to. But here's the reality. Scripture sometimes is very poetic as it is here about life. But Scripture is always true about life. And the reality is, although this may be a very vivid description of old age and death, it's true. And if it's true, and there's not enough doctors to undo aging, and there's not enough beauticians to undo the gray hair, and there's not enough plastic surgeons to undo the wrinkles, and all of this stuff just happens, and there's nothing you can do about it, then why add stinginess and crankiness to it? Life is too short not to be generous, not to be joyful. Enjoy life. Some of my favorite old people that I've ever met are those that had a young spirit. I don't mean people that would never grow up, but I mean the people that just enjoyed life. They accepted their age. They accepted their frailties. They accepted the things that we want to push back against. But they did it with joy and even a sense of humor. They did it giving glory to God. And above all else, they were generous with whatever it was they had. We've been talking in this series about your life portion, whatever it is that God's given you, whether it's money, whether it's your abilities, your wisdom, whether it's your time and your energy, whatever it is that you have, God didn't give it to you just to keep it for yourself, but he gave it to you to give away. And when you give it away, that scripture becomes true that talks about having a renewed spirit life is too short not to be generous not to enjoy life 